Thanks, Matt. Um, you guys, it is such a privilege to be here and to get to talk to you guys tonight. I'm really excited about that. And uh, I just want to say a little something about Matt. Okay, so Matt has invested in all of us so much, and we are so blessed here at Bridgeway to have such an awesome youth pastor. I mean, he develops and and just pours into people that he doesn't even need to. Like, I wasn't a student when I came on board, and I got there, and he just wanted to develop me and pour into me, and he's just an awesome youth pastor. So I've been pleased to work with him over the last couple years, and and be a part of that group. But um, yeah, Matt Bach, great guy. So you guys are blessed. So tonight we are in part 16 of our Ecclesiastes series. Okay. So part 16 is the end of the Ecclesiastes series. So we're going to be wrapping it up. Uh, Lance decided to take off and let us finish this up for him. So hopefully we won't mess it up too bad. Uh, But as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, I'm sure a lot of you have kind of picked up on the fact that this is kind of a depressing book, right? You're reading through it, and it's just a little rough. The the things that are said, it's kind of hard to stomach some of the times. Uh, But really, Lance, in his first one of the series, which, like I said, 16 weeks ago, a long time. I know you guys don't remember, so I'm going to say what he said. Lance said in the first one that chapter 1, verse 2, sums up the entire book, okay? So, sums it up by saying this. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? And that word vanity is that, that Hebrew word, habel, right? Which is a vapor or a mist, a nothingness. You can't catch vapor, you can't grab onto mist, and it's something that's just fleeting, and it disappears, and all of a sudden it's just not there anymore. And he said that sums up this entire book. That's depressing, okay? So, as we talked about the meaningless of life over the last 16 weeks, we have imagery all throughout, okay? So, so some of the stuff that they say in the book is things like this. Streams running to the sea, but the sea never getting filled up. There's nothing new under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So all throughout this book, it is saying that life essentially amounts to nothing. We're running in circles and nothing comes out of it. And that's depressing. So, that's a great way to start the book, right? Vanity of vanities, all that good stuff. All these depressing little line phrases and and all that's going on. Um, So I have good news for you. We're going to be in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and it is just as depressing as the rest, okay? So, you guys just sit tight, and uh, we'll get through this together. And we'll, you know, hug it out later and, and not be depressed anymore, okay? So, if you guys want to go ahead and open to Ecclesiastes 12... And that's where we're going to start out tonight. So I'm going to start out by just reading a pretty good portion of this, okay? So I'm going to read it through, we're going to pray about it, and then we're going to dive in and and hopefully be able to make some sense of this together. So Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says this. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, Of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanities. Go ahead and pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for its authority in our lives. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help open our minds and open our hearts to what exactly is going on in this passage. Lord, I just pray that um, we would be open to whatever you might say to us tonight. That whatever it is, even if, even if we don't like it, even if we uh, are a little caught off guard by it, Lord, that we would just be open to that. Lord, I thank you for this text, and I thank you for what you're going to do here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so that was a lot of text. But what the heck did we just read? Okay? So, like I said, just as depressing as it was before, but... We get a little, little bit of a taste of something good right here in verse number one. So, I, I just got to put this out there. This text is very obscure, okay? Very obscure. So obscure, in fact, that a lot of the uh, commentators and stuff that wrote about this said that this is the most obscure passage in Ecclesiastes. Um, so once again, thank you, Lance, uh, for giving that to us. Um, but yeah, here we go. Verse one, it says, remember, okay. Remember the creator in your youth. Remember, be mindful of and consider the creator in the days of your youth before things start to get bad. Okay. So it says, remember the creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So growing old can be hard. Okay, I've noticed it a little bit, even just at my age, um, you know, you go play football and you're sore all of a sudden, these high schoolers that are running around helping, they don't understand that. Um, but really, uh, lost my train of thought, but really we're going to move on to the, uh, fill in the blank, <laughs> sorry, which is this now is the youngest that you will ever be. Okay? Now is the youngest that you will ever be. So, who watches The Office in here? Any Office watchers? Okay? Great show. Pretty funny. So there's a part in The Office where Andy is sitting there, and he's already gone on, and he's got his dream job at Cornell, and he's looking back at things, and he says this phrase. He goes... Man, I wish, I wish that somebody would tell you when you're in the good old days so that you don't figure it out once you're out of it. 
Okay, so if we're going to remember our Creator in our youth, that's today. No matter who you are, no matter what age you are, whether you're 75 or 15 out here, today is your youth. Okay, so let's just track on that. So the next few verses, this is where it gets obscure and weird. And there's two different ways of really looking at this text. Okay, the first way is as an allegory where everything in here means something else. It all stands for something, okay? And the thing it stands for is getting old and dying. Super, super happy, okay? Getting old and dying is what this allegory would be. Every little bit. Uh, But there's another option too, and that's that it's just a parable of a house, okay? A house that's crumbling to destruction as people die. So both options, really happy. So we're just going to go ahead and get through this and start to pick apart uh, what exactly is in this. So um, biblical tradition, real quick, it uses houses a lot, right? Uh, Where you build your house, how you build your house, whatever. But really the house kind of symbolizes some sort of achievement, like you've done something, like there's a belonging. The destruction of the house is referring to human failure because humans fail sometimes. And so if a house is crumbling, it means that there is failure um, in that we are not as secure or solid as we think. That's noisy. (laughs) So first we're going to go through this as an allegory, okay? And so I'm just going to breeze through this because there's a lot of text here and I'm just going to pick out some key points here. First one is the keepers of the house tremble is the text. And if we're looking at this as an allegory, that's like an old person whose hands and feet shake and they can no longer keep things off. The windows is referring to like eyes and how the windows dim and how they can't see is good. The grinding is low, meaning that it's hard to eat or possibly to breathe and that, that, um, That kind of hard breathing that goes on as somebody's getting old. Waking up early with the rising at the sound of bird. Not like in a good way where you're like, oh my gosh, the birds are up, so I'm going to be up. But more like you've had a restless night's sleep and it's achy and you get up because you just can't stay in bed any longer. Uh, The grinders are few. This is looked at to be teeth. Okay, your teeth are falling out, and so you can't grind as much as you would normally. I don't know what that is. Am I doing that? Is that my beard on this thing? I think that is what it is. (laughs) Sorry, my beard wanted some attention. Um, (laughs) It says, strong men are bent. And that seems kind of obvious, but they take it in the allegory even further, that maybe that's the spine or maybe that's the knees, and, and that they're bent over and hunched over. Afraid of heights and even going out. And then the almond tree, they bring up this almond tree. And almond trees are interesting because um, the Israel culture kind of looks at these almond trees as being like the first thing of the spring, but they really bloom in almost winter. So here, if you're looking at this as an allegory, uh, the almond tree, which blooms in winter and will never see the spring, which is looked at as youth. Uh, And also it blooms in white. So gray and you're not going to see youth again is the almond tree. Uh, It mentions desire fails. Uh, And then the last part here, 
man is going to his eternal home. Now that part's kind of obvious, and that is right there in uh, verse 5. Okay, So man is going to his eternal home, and, and that is the end of life. The mourners go out to the street because that was the custom of the day, and that is the allegory. Okay, A dying person. Things are failing. Life is coming to an end. So if we move from the allegory to more of the, uh, the parable of the house, it doesn't necessarily change the meaning at all. What it does is the parts that are the house just are talking about the house and the things that are breaking is the house. And also, I mean, when man goes to his eternal home, that means that. But a couple of the parts that uh, I like about the parable of the house is this. So even though it's still about death and destruction, when it's talking about the almond tree, maybe the almond tree actually means that it is the first to bloom, meaning new life, okay? Mind you, the house is falling apart around this. And then the grasshopper drags itself along. The reason a grasshopper can drag itself along eating whatever it wants to eat is because there's no people around anymore. So this house has fallen apart. There's nothing left there. But nature goes on. Nature doesn't care that the house is crumbling. Nature doesn't care that a person is dying. Nature doesn't care what is going on in our lives. Nature pushes forward and keeps going. That sounds just as depressing as the rest of the book. So I tend to think that that might be what he is saying here. Whichever way you're looking at it, nature goes on without us. We rise up. We're youthful, we grow old, we pass away, and things keep moving. So we're going to transition a little bit here to verse 6. And I'm going to stick more on the parable of the house, okay? So verse 6 says, Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. That is the end. Okay, so we're talking about complete death or complete destruction here. That silver cord that is broken, that's talking about uh, the way they hung up their chandeliers back then. And if you had a silver cord holding that type of chandelier, that means that it was a rich person, which is just a little nuance in here to say that, no, because you're rich, nature isn't going to care about you. Just because you're rich, it doesn't matter. Things are going to end. Things are going to break down. The, the wheel at the cistern is broken and water is no longer flowing. Life-giving water is no longer there. It's no longer accessible because everything is broken down. And it ends with this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Okay, that sounds a lot like what we read at the start of this, which was in chapter 1, verse 2, where he says the same thing. It's all vanity. This entire book is wrapped up by things just being vanity. So what do we do with that? That verse is summarizing all of Ecclesiastes and it's ending with vanity of vanities. Everything we've built will fade. Everything we've done will come to nothing. It is all vanity. Vapor. So we're going to listen to... uh, the next guy here, okay? So this is the narrator. 
So he, he listened to the preacher, which was this first section here, and then the narrator chimes in. And good news, he's less depressing than the other guy. So this is going to go a little bit better, feel a little bit better. Uh, he's not as harsh. So we're going to be in uh, verse 9 now, okay? So 12 verse 9 says this. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So the narrator is essentially validating the preacher who who did the part before this, okay? Validating him and saying, hey, he's done his homework. He's collected wise sayings. You can listen to him. The things that he's saying are of truth and they're good. These wise sayings act as goads. Do you guys know what a goad is? It's totally a word we use like every day. No, a goad is a big long stick that a shepherd would use to keep like oxen going in the right direction. So it's a big pointed stick, essentially. Um, like if you prod somebody in the right direction, same idea there with a goad. And then a nail is a nail. It holds something secure. So whether the wise words are meant to correct and to keep you on the right path, or whether it's a nail to hold you in the right place because you're already doing things well, uh, this narrator is saying that both of those things are good and that wise words can be used for those things. And that's a good thing. Okay. But then 12, he goes on and he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books. There's no end and much study is a wariness of the flesh. Now, like Matt mentioned, I am a student over at William Jessup and I love passages like this that say, too much study, man, wears you out. And I get it. Trust me, I am worn out of school. I am so ready for December to be here and to be done. Um, but I like that he says that because what is he saying? He's saying, hey, those wise things are good. But even that, even the knowledge, even the studying, even those things that if you put your, uh, your whole desire into those things, if you put all your passion into those things, even that is just weariness. So don't get too caught up in being super intelligent just for intelligence sake. And don't get too caught up in being the wise person just to be wise. Because he's saying that just leads to weariness. So don't bother. Don't write books. No, you can write books. So verses 13 and 14 are my favorite verses of this entire passage. And I'll just let you guys hear So verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. So he's wrapping it up for us right there. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Got like super positive there, and then it kind of turned, and it's like, and God will judge you. But... um, Old Jewish tradition actually reads this part in reverse. They read 14 before they read 13 because it sounds better on ending on a positive note. So we're going to kind of treat it like that as well. And we're going to break apart 14 before we get into 13. So 
Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Meaning God sees what you do. The secret things. Maybe you're a rock star. Maybe you're super awesome. Maybe you're doing great things and no one's noticed before. Maybe you're doing things behind the scenes and no one sees you. No one picks up on that and no one sees it. And you're feeling a little bit let down because it's nice to get praise every once in a while. God is saying he sees that. He sees those good things you're doing. And that is awesome. And he will judge you according to those things. But also the secret things that are bad. The things that you keep secret in your life. The secret sins that you don't want anyone to see. And you're doing a pretty good job at keeping everyone out. God sees those too. And we will be held accountable to those things. But what exactly does good mean? What are those good things? What are the bad things? What what does that mean exactly? Well, he tells us right here in verse 13, right? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. If that is the whole duty of man, keeping his commandments and fearing him, if that is the whole duty, that should be your whole desire is to do that with your life. If that is it, man, who can say they've done that? I think God might be judging me for the bad stuff because I have not followed all the commandments. That has not been my whole duty in life. It's kind of rough. But if that's truly what he's going to hold us accountable to, then we need an answer. And that can be kind of discouraging if you just look at it like that. But what if I told you that is possible? What if it is possible to follow God's commandments, to fear him fully, and that that could become your whole duty as a man? You see, God did not just give us that command and say, I will hold you accountable to the good or the evil that you do. God did not just give us that command. He also gave us a way to fulfill that command. See, God didn't just leave us here in our meaningless lives for us to struggle through it on our own and to come up with nothing. He said, no, I need to give them meaning. I need to take that life that's full of vanity and give it a purpose. And he said, I will send my son down because he will uphold those commands. He will follow my commandments. So that's what he did. God put on flesh, came down as Jesus, son of God, also also God himself. And he died on the cross in our place so that we could have life, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could start investing in something that is more than just vanity, more than just meaningless vapor. It says to fear God and to uphold his commandments. And it says that that is your whole purpose, your whole duty as a man. Okay? Doesn't say whole duty of a believing man. Doesn't say a whole duty of just a Christian man. It says the whole duty of man. And women, you're in that camp too. They're just using man. It means you too. Okay? So the whole duty of man is to follow God to fear him, and to follow his commandments. 
So here's a little bit about myself. Okay. So I'm 28. I became Christian eight years ago, 20 years old. And it's kind of an interesting story because, well, I was 19 leading to 20 when I became Christian. I was working a decent job. Uh, I was a manager over at Rayleigh's for all you guys that like Rayleigh's. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I was a manager over at Rayleigh's. I was making decent money. Okay. At 19 years old, I was doing well. I lived with a couple of roommates and we had a really nice condo and that was awesome too. I drove a lifted Jeep and I drove a little sporty red, uh, Lancer and life was good. Like things were going good. And you know, I was popular and I used to go out and I used to party with people and, and I was popular and my phone would just blow off the hook every Friday, Saturday night. And, and life was really good. People thought I'll never forget one day. It was shortly after I moved into the condo. So I had the cars, had the popularity, had money. And one of my friends a non-believing friend, he, he looked at me and he goes, man, you've really got everything, don't you? And I will never forget him saying that because I remember thinking, oh gosh, this can't be it. That can't be everything. And I had no idea how much that was not everything. All those things that my friends looked at and said, wow, that's great. That's awesome. I was sitting there and I wasn't happy. I wasn't content. It was meaningless. It was vanity. It was nothing. It was vapor. It was just falling through my fingers and things weren't okay. So here's a secret. Even though this book is pretty obscure, Ecclesiastes has always been one of my top favorite books. I've always loved it, right? It's super depressing and it's super hard and you're reading it and you're like, what, what does that mean? I have no idea what that means, but it's always been one of my favorites. And you know why? Because God does not let us stay in our meaningless lives. God sent Jesus down. So that he could die for our sins. And he said, no, you have a purpose now. Your life is not meaningless. It is not all vanity because now you are mine. Because I sent my son so that he could die in your place. So that you could uphold those commandments. So that you could fear and follow me. And so that you could have eternal life with me. It's time to start investing in something eternal. Not in a house that's going to break down. Not in your lifestyle that's... You know, whether it's good or bad, we we put a lot of pressure and stuff into that. And it's not worth it because it ends up being nothing. Man, this book is full of truth. We're getting older. We're getting older and we're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before that. But most of us in this room, we're going to get old and die. That's the truth of it. It's a rough truth, but reality is that through Jesus, you can have eternal life. Are we fulfilling our duty? If our whole duty is truly to follow Jesus, is truly to follow God's commandments, are we really living into that? Nature is going to go on without you. Life is going to keep moving. 
whether you're here or not. What is important is what you do with that life. Because if it's about you, if it's about these things, all through Ecclesiastes, if it's about riches, if it's about uh, just becoming popular or getting that next job promotion or buying that next car or moving into the bigger house, if it's about any of those things, your life will amount to nothing. Hold duty a man. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Today is the youngest that you will ever be. So if we're going to be mindful, if we're going to remember our creator in our youth, that has to start today. Because you're not going to be as young as you are right now. So that has to start today. You have to remember him now. So I've got a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You have a God who loves you. You have a God who sent his son to die in your place. What are you waiting for? You're never going to be as young as you are right now. So what are you waiting for? Life is not going to get any better until you're following him. So what are you waiting for? Whether it's a priority check and you need to say, wow, my whole duty has not been fearing God and following his commandments. My whole duty has not been following Jesus and letting him work in my life. My whole duty has been filled with all these other things because let's face it, we're busy people. Our priorities get out of whack. Next thing you know, days have gone by and you haven't even thought of God. You come here next weekend and you're like, wow, like... Was God even working in that five, six day span? What are you waiting for? Whether you're somebody that needs to give your life to Christ now in your youth, or you're somebody that just needs to check your priorities, I ask you, what are you waiting for? Because the things that would fill that answer are meaningless, I promise. Those things are vanity. Whatever answer you could come up with that goes in that place of what you're waiting for, it does not matter because it will fail. It will be destroyed. It will end like everything else that is not eternal. And the only thing that is eternal is our God, our Savior Jesus and those that he calls son and brings home with him. That's where I want to put my energy. That's where I want top priority in my life. That's what I want to focus on. If you can't say the same thing, you need to ask yourself, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Dear God, I just, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the work you've done in my life. And Lord, I just pray for everyone in this crowd right now. Lord, whatever they're going on in their lives, whatever they have happening, I know there's big stuff happening. I know there's anxious stuff happening. Lord, I just pray that no matter what, you would just open their eyes to what might be holding them back from you. Lord, illuminate the fact 
that so much we seek after is meaningless. Lord, illuminate the fact that you are the only one that is not meaningless. Lord, we want to pursue you. I just pray that whatever we're waiting for, Lord, you would just break down those walls and just be with us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this night together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys.